I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Alex Alcazaz, and this is Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. First, I'd like to welcome back my good friend and my mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California, and it's also my honor to bring his brother, Bill Adams, in Nice and beautiful North Dakota. How's it going, fellas? <laughs> We're awesome. North Dakota felt like California today, thankfully. We had a gorgeous day here today. It's just an honor to have the Adams brothers. Yep, the Adams family. Here the, we are. The, 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 there you go, folks. I'm very, very close to the Adams family. <laughs> That's it. All right. So today's subject, folks, is we're actually going to go through a little a history of an incident that took place about five years ago. The Lamia Flight 2933, basically the plane crash that killed 71 out of 76 people. And Bill here, just a few weeks ago, turned in an assignment for an aviation safety course, basically covering the incident. And Bill, reading your report, I mean, I'm just absolutely impressed. I mean, you really took it like a sports writer. You gave the whole thing... You left no you left no details out. So I gotta ask you, did you get an A plus for this? Yeah, I did. She actually gave me hundred and ten because she was so impressed with the uh, with the report. So thanks for asking. Yep. You, you're welcome. That's and you common. know and I'm not surprised you got extra points because some professors will do that. I mean in journalism, unfortunately for me, they I, I never got that chance because you know that those journalism professors I had are just so tough, but but you know, the the fact that you went the extra mile, you you put in a little bit more details like you put in a lot of things that people don't even know i guarantee you that if a lot of people that read this that are more aware of the incident than me they're probably going to say at least 10 times i did not know that so good job bill yeah thanks i appreciate that alex yeah. very much yeah. it was interesting and i want uh, you know it, uh because the human factor was so involved in this accident that was um, one of the big drivers for me for the class with the safety classes to get into the background of everything and what leads up to it because normally when there's accidents alex there's a chain and things happen way before the actual accident and this was just like that well that's the thing with accidents and steve will agree with me on this that when a major accident like this happens there's already things that have not been going well and for these companies it's been like that for a long time yep yep and some things that they've that they've done um, and that they continued to do ended up ca causing them a big problem in this case. And it happens in others, too. But this was a terrible tragedy for the Chapelcanese team, that's for sure. So I got a question. For, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, the soccer world as a whole, right? I mean, everybody back then, they were devastated. It was all on the news. I mean, all the big networks, ESPN, NBC, CBS, everybody kind of... You know, had an immediate story about the, you know, the flight crash with the Chapel Canese team. That's crazy. It, it is totally trash. And I got a first question for you, gentlemen. Now I'm going to start with you, Steve. Do you believe that this whole thing could have been avoided? No question. No question. I mean, three of the most, you know, infamous plane crashes that involved killing soccer teams. Um, I mean, there was the Man U plane crash in uh, February of 1958 that killed 23 people, including eight players from Manchester United. And then in 1993, on their way to a World Cup qualifier, they were going to play in Senegal. Um, the Zambian uh, soccer team, their, uh, 
their DC uh, 10 crashed. So, um, you know, this, this was, and all these were, were very, very preventable accidents. Um, in the case of Man United that involved uh, taking off in terrible conditions, runway was unsafe, it was full of snow, uh, they weren't able to get enough altitude to get going, that plane crashed. So that was a case of human error, trying to force the plane to go so that the team would be on time for their weekend game coming up. And then uh, in the case of the one in 93 that killed, uh, wiped out the Zambian team, uh, it was a combination of the in-flight fire and pilot error. But uh, this one, this one may have been, you know, even harder to, to comprehend and uh, like my brother's research I mean he really went line by line you know with just this whole cascade of uh, errors errors of commission and errors of omission so um, you know there's a lot to digest with this report that uh, my brother did it's absolutely impressive and, and, you, and how about you Bill do you believe that this could have been easily avoided yep yep it was uh, super simple to avoid it should not have absolutely should not have happened and um it's, it kind of shows you the pressures probably i'm guessing that first flight steve was talking about they were leaving due to the pressure of trying to get somewhere on time and that's a pure pilot error where they're the pilot in command and they need to protect their passengers and they need to make the good decisions but due to pressures things happen and this is just another one of those cases here too where influences um, impacted um, the flight and uh, the people in charge made the wrong decisions and you know almost killed everybody you know 71 people died in that flight just a terrible tragedy Absolutely is, and you know, and reading from your report, you know, starting with the uh, from the investigation in the company management section, that you mentioned the company did not know that the Bolivian airline could not fly directly from Sao Paulo, Brazil, to Medellin, Colombia. Yep, isn't that a telltale sign? It's just crazy to think that they would take the business from Chapo to say, hey, yeah, we'll we'll uh, do the charter and uh, we'll go, you know, from Sao Paulo to. <clears throat> to Medellin, Rio Negro Airport, and it turns out that, well, they can't. They weren't allowed to. Um, there wasn't an agreement. It's called the Chicago Convention. It's where the international agreements for flights are, how they're handled with the rules, and that wasn't uh, had, so they actually had to take a commercial flight from Sao Paulo um, to Bolivia, and uh, um, that's how they started their charger. So kind of a telltale sign that these guys in management really weren't knowing what they were doing. All right, so my question to you now, gentlemen, is, is was management and the entire company just totally 110% guilty of just plain laziness and, and negligence? Or, or is that honestly a little too extreme? Yeah, your, your thoughts, Bill? Sure. Well, um, they're completely completely negligent and uh and as the as the report goes into is that uh turns out the pilot was in that uh was in charge um he had part ownership in the airline too and so as far as company is concerned that's why he was arrested almost immediately he ended up 
you know, going to jail, big heavy duty fine, because they weren't managing their airline. They were not able to um, follow the rules when they went back and looked at their records because aviation is managed very, very strongly. Fuels and things like that, you know, how much fuel have you used um, as an example? And in this case, they were fudging for a minimum of four months in advance and most likely probably longer. And because the airline wasn't doing well, they had two of their three planes grounded. Pretty pretty, pretty big notice to Bolivia that, hey, something might be going on with these guys. They're hurting for money. Let's make sure they're not, you know, taking any shortcuts. All right, and Steve, what about your thoughts? Do you believe that this was 100% complete negligence? Well, it was clearly negligence, and then uh, one of the things that was really, you know, too bad that was an offshoot of all this was that there were people that were trying to throw the female air traffic controller in Medellin. People were trying to throw her under the bus, and you know, you got to remember, you know, Medellin, uh, it's not that far removed from the drug cartels and uh, Andres Escobar getting killed after. The, his own goal in the 94 World Cup against the United States, you know, this poor lady was absolutely fearing for her life. But um, as my brother's report showed, that uh, she was totally vindicated. There was absolutely no fault of the air traffic controller at, at all on this. You know, it was just... Uh, <sighs> It was just a case of, I don't know if greed's the right word, but it was a clear conflict of interest that, you know, the pilot, you're supposed to make your uh, safety decisions based on the weather, your aircraft, your fuel, all that stuff. But, you know, by being a part owner of the com company and um, a company that's been hemorrhaging money and the fact that he cut corners... Yeah, it was it was clearly gross negligence. Yeah, yeah, Yana, she uh, she was fearful for her life immediately uh, because basically the news media jumped on some sound bits that they were able to take from the eighteen minute recording, and when you don't put them into context, it sounds like you know she didn't let this plane land properly and then timely, which is just not the case at all. And so with those first. Uh, um, news media incorrect um you know dissemination of that she was fearful for her life and had received threats is my understanding but thankfully they got to the tapes pretty quick the 18 minutes from the atc um from the air traffic control and were able to exonerate her immediately um with the review of the tapes See, and I think one of the reasons that she was cleared, and this is according to your brilliant work, Bill, is that when she spoke to the pilot, the pilot seemed very calm throughout the communication, and that apparently no emergency was declared until the very end. So the pilot, yep. this tells me that the pilots knew that something was going to happen, but they wait till the last second to declare an emergency. And I'm looking at these investigation notes. I mean, I've read this so much. This is absolutely amazing. I, I can't praise you enough. But yeah. in according, in, as, as the investigation goes, flight records are searched. That, and, and it says Lamia has been operating flights, violating fuel requirements for months. And it turns out that the captain had made three times, you know, had like made three flights previously direct from um, 
Rio uh, Negro yeah. to Santa Cruz, basically. Yeah. And, you know, and you mentioned, you know, the company, as we said, is already in deep financial trouble. And you state clearly they're unable to pay maintenance or stay current, which is that's already a huge no, no. If you can't pay for maintenance on planes, I mean, that's already that, that, that that's already, you know, one violation enough to have you shut down. And even that, it says, and like you mentioned, uh, one of the owners, uh, he was charged with manslaughter. The other one went into hiding, and it turns yep. out that the captain of this, of this, the, the guy who captained the, the this flight, is actually one of the owners. So yep. the airline would be grounded and the plane seized. Yeah, yeah. Miguel was, uh, you know, nobody, you know, nobody knew that he was. Turns out he was an owner, so he wasn't in an arm's length situation with managing a normal pilot. If they weren't, uh, you know, doing things as the rules dictate, having enough fuel as required, um, they would wouldn't fly. Well, because he's with the airline, he knew he needed the money. Realistically, he was going to fly and take the risk, and that's the thing that he had done, you know, three times before, as you mentioned, from Rio Negro to um, um, to, to back to the Bolivia. But um, you know, that was going down. Okay, so going down in elevation, Rio Negro sits at 7,000, like 28 or 29 feet up in the mountains, and then to go all the way down to where they were in Bolivia, um, you know, gravity was helping them. This direction, he was spending more fuel to, um, you know, gain altitude for a longer period of time. So there was a miscalculation on his part there, unfortunately, and clearly they were in cahoots because... Partway through the flight there, they turned off the voice recorder in the cockpit. And uh, note that they... ...took off... And their planned flight would was uh, fueled short. They would, you know, get into some serious trouble. So yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, all of these things lined up, and the accident business. They they use a Swiss cheese model, and each slice of cheese is a barrier. And when the holes line up through all the barriers, that's where you get into an accident. And that was one of the holes. These guys were in cahoots instead of. Uh, doing what their job states follow the rules well and one of the things too because one of the one of the few good things if you will in this whole fiasco was the fact that the plane had pretty much sucked all the gas dry that there was no fuel left uh the fact that when it crashed that there was no fireball generally with any type of crash and you've got fuel involved you're almost always going to have a significant fire and in this case, there was the blunt trauma of the crash, but there wasn't the huge fireball. And that's, that's really the only reason that you even had six survivors in this was the fact that there was no fireball. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That was one of the things when the investigator first arrived on scene in the morning there before noon, they, um, there was a very low odor where normally there's a, a high odor of uh, airplane fuel. There were no scorch marks, uh, and then, uh, as it turns out, the engines were working properly, and they even had gauges. All three of the gauges, the the wing tanks and the center tank, were all showing zero, 
and they just don't understand how a commercial airplane could run out of fuel. It's more than rare. It just doesn't happen. And so it was very um, perplexing for the investigators how that could happen. I mean, if these guys knew that they didn't have enough fuel and they still decide to do that, you know, decide to take the flight, I mean, it, it kind of seems like these guys just did not care about the other lives. Like, these, this company, like I said, already taking risks. And what amazes me, gentlemen, is that they're already in financial ruin. They're already, like, you know, dug deep and they're like, Probably a, a few more, you know, a few, a few more scoops away from being buried, and they got to do this thing. I mean, did they really think that they were going to make money? That this, whatever they were going to make out of this, was going to get them out? I mean, clearly, I mean, to say that they didn't—it's not that they didn't simply think things through. I mean, they just really didn't give a damn, now, did they? Well, you know, I think they did because it was all, you know, it was all a gamble. Um, they were rolling the dice from the beginning. They initially, with the flight at. Uh, the Santa Cruz Airport in Bolivia submitted multiple flight plans because the airplane only had about a 1,600-mile range, which happens to be about the same distance from Santa Cruz to Rio Negro for Medellin. And so they were rejected, rejected, rejected. And then finally, they submitted a plan that had a stop, um, in, um, but uh, they decided not to do the stop and probably wasn't really in their plan anyway. They just wanted to get in the air and get going. Um, and because they had made it in the past, they figured that they were probably safe to make it again. And, it, and uh, according to the timeline of the flight, at, a, at some point, the pilots discuss a divert to refuel in Bogota, Colombia. And yep. obviously when it comes to that situation, if there's something wrong, the pilots have to inform the nearest control of a plane emergency. And from what I understand that in most cases, if there really is a serious plane emergency, when the control tower says to you, you have priority, I think that means like you have permission to land and to take care of it. I mean, especially yep. if you have a lot of, if, if you say like there's a serious emergency, I mean, I really doubt they're not going to allow you to land. I mean, they have to understand, you know, this whole thing, but... Yep. But then you know how yep. you mentioned they changed their minds. Hmm. So, yep. so first let me ask you: Did they get did they get the priority to land in Bogota? So there's a couple things going on there that you're talking about. So priority is different than an emergency. Priority is from the ATC. Hey, we're requesting priority, which means basically, can we get bumped up and move in ahead of the other planes that are okay uh, in, in, around the airport? Which happened to be there were three other planes. Um, that were in the area when they first arrived in uh, Rio Negro. But so that's priority. And then when they declare emergency, it's basically the water's part. Everybody gets out of that plane's way, and that plane has everything towards it to land uh, immediately. And so that's the thing about this is that when they started, um, when their first fuel warning light went off, that gave them so much time, they didn't tell anybody. Okay, and as you know, you talked about Yana Molina had said they were calm. They were calm. They had just had this warning go off, and they're still talking to the air traffic controller as if you know nothing else is going on, and they only have you know a certain amount of minutes to to get down. But that Bogota, the refuel, there was a third person on the plane. She was uh, a new hire for La Mia, and uh, uh, a new um, a new pilot with them. And when they were talking about this, because of the, the route and the time, they knew that they were going to be tight. Um, the ATC 
from Columbia said, hey, we're going to give you a more direct route. And so with that more direct route, they, they stopped that discussion and just decided to move forward and uh, go with their initial plan was a direct flight, which is what they had been trying since the beginning. And Sissy, that uh, um, second officer, she had the perfect opportunity to put this to save to save everybody. They call it crew resource management, and uh, she could have put the screws of these guys and let them know the gig was up and you better get some fuel because you know we're not doing it by the books. But that didn't happen, unfortunately. And it's common in a group dynamic, and also somebody's trying to get a job, somebody's trying to keep a job. Sometimes you don't do everything that's right, and in this case. It, cost people's lives and you know in the end this whole tragedy this just total this had this had the total beginnings of like a disney film type of thing this sort of rags to riches just this little club you know south of sao paulo and had never really done anything uh worked its way up from the fourth tier in uh brazilian soccer to get up to the top tier were able to qualify to get to the Copa Sudamericana, which is to South American soccer, what the Europa League is to European soccer, it's kind of a second tier, but it's still a pretty important co competition. They upset San Lorenzo of Argentina, big club, uh, the Pope's favorite team, by the way. Um, but anyway, San Lorenzo, it was a huge, huge win for Chapucanese just to make it to get to the final against Atletico Nacional of Medellin. And um, and then for, for for this to happen, I mean, it was just it was just such a buzzkill. It was just such oh, yeah. an epic tragedy. Yeah, the president of Brazil declared three days of mourning. Um, you know, they sh were showing videos of the various teams, even in Europe, even before their practices, with their moments of silence. Um, Brazil, all of Brazil was impacted by it, let alone um, the people, you know, um, in the in that small town that uh, came out to mourn immediately. And it was so devastating. That's why, you know, that, you know, they want to that was actually one of the reasons why this flight um, is resolved is because of the public pressure. That's really important in safety and in the aviation public pressure helps get to the bottom of things and that's what happened here yeah what's sad is according to this the team was scheduled to play the 2016 copa suda americana finals you know they're on yeah. the, they're on the way to playing something huge and this happens and from, oh. you know just you know only one of the four crew members survived along with three of the players and two other passengers survived although they were injured and the official report from Columbia Civil Aviation Agency, uh, Aero Civil, uh, Civil. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly how to how to say it, but they found the causes of the crash to be due to fuel exhaustion, which was at, which they said was due to inappropriate flight plan taken by the airline and a pilot error regarding poor decision making at this, as the situation worsened. And again, like, like you know, we said the dude remained calm. I mean, and, yeah. and you know, there was also the failure to declare an emergency after fuel levels became critically low. Yeah. And, so yeah, I mean, with all that, Alex, it's all a bunch. So that's one of the things that bothered me about this report was that most everybody took it as something that the pilots and the people in charge 
were trying to do a good job when in fact this really wasn't the case. They had planned to break, break the rules the whole time. And um, this was not a, a miscalculation because they could have stopped and they could have gotten fuel. And they, they should have. And they didn't. And they chose not to. And they put everybody and gambled and at risk and gambled and lost. And, you know, it's you, you, you always think that, well, these guys, they don't want to die either. But there was enough pressure for nobody to know what was going on that they were willing to take the risk with everyone's lives. So pretty scary stuff. <laughs> scary would be a major understatement, my friend. Now, here's another yeah. question for both of you gentlemen. If the plane had actually done in the emergency stop in Bogota, do you think the flight, the, re the remaining of the flight would not have happened? Because if I'm correct, when a plane make, makes an emergency landing, if, if there's needs to refuel... Don't they have tech, like technicians from the airport or airport officials, like inspectors, whatever you want to say? That like, don't they check the plane? Like, they kind of give a whole rerun of the thing to see if there's anything, excuse me, anything else wrong. Yeah, and also with the Bogota, all it is is just it's just like stopping at a airport to refill with gas, like you would your car at a gas station. But what happens is because aviation records are supposed to be um, scrutinized and kept. They would have realized that this plane was short on fuel and, um, you know, was trying to get there with just on the fuel that they had from the Santa Cruz and Bolivia. So big problem for them. And if they would have landed, they would have, um, there wouldn't have been any issues at all other than potentially losing business in the future because um, they were already an hour late when they left Santa Cruz uh, because of weather. Um, on the end of the flight in on the commercial flight and then because it was already you know essentially three in the morning when the accident happened you know it would have been early in the morning and they were going to be playing a, basically a day later um, so I'm sure the captain was thinking that hey if I don't get these guys here tonight and get them as soon as I can into Rio Negro we're going to lose business because they flew 30 teams and they threw some of the big the big national teams of Argentina and um, also uh, Medellin. Um, I forget the name of the, what is it, uh, Steve, the team? But you mean the, in, in Medellin, there's there's a couple of teams. There's like Millonarios, there's Atletico. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, that's who they were going to play. But anyway, the national team. And so they were, you know, trying to keep that business going and, um, you know, try not to let anybody know because that's how they would find out is through, the fuel records. I think certainly that prob they they probably realized they were under the gun and that if they would have stopped for fuel, it might have delayed them a little bit more. They might not have been able to get the game in on time. You know, I think that might have been on the back of their mind. Um, and then one of the other things that happened with all this this horrible situation, Atletico, the players and the management, they pretty much said, look, give Chapo Canese and the Copa Sudamericana. I mean, we're, they got decimated. They lost almost their entire team. Here, let them have the trophy. And uh, in doing that gesture, they ended up winning um, in the FIFA awards later that year. They Atletico was awarded a FIFA Fair Play Award for that very magnanimous gesture uh, to say, hey, give Chapo the cup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, you know, for me, it was interesting to to read a little bit about the teams and 
you know, and to, one of the things they talked about with the Chapo team is they really believe because they were cl so close-knit, that was one of the reasons why they were successful. And I, in my report, it was titled exceptional, an exceptional team with an exceptional accident. And an exceptional accident is basically a type of human error where you knowingly do things that um, are risky. And uh, that's what these people did from ownership to um, the pilots, even the government. You know, the government, the Libyan government. I kind of feel like this whole thing would be on a show of conspiracy theories. And there's something that I should point that some of the notes I saw, um, the plane was actually carrying more load than it was supposed to. I, I think it was like over 700 pounds more than it should have been yep. carrying. Yep. I mean, that's, 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 just a, that's another yep. bad thing because if a plane is yep. too heavy, it's not going to be able to go up in the air well. I mean, it's, it's going to, you know, turbulence, you know, might take an effect, but, you know. Yep, but all the great point. That's all part of that's all part of uh, also the pilots not doing their job is that they shouldn't have they shouldn't even tried to take off being over overweight like that. It was it was seven hundred and sixty pounds something like that, yeah, seven sixty seven. But they, uh, um, it's just another tick mark of why they were in cahoots, why they weren't following the rules, why they were putting everybody at risk. Um, was to get this thing in the air and to make some money. You know, the, this whole thing, you know, reading this, I'm just like, you know, I'm shaking my head the whole time. I mean, even right now, I mean, it got to the point where I felt like my heart was about to jump out of my body because, you know, I was actually feel, I was sensing so much anger because, you know, like, like we said at the beginning, that's why when I asked you gentlemen very loosely, do you believe this could have been avoided? And your responses were absolutely amazing because for me, I really feel like this could have been avoided. And based on everything you said, Bill, once again, your, your report is absolutely amazing. Like, it was negligence from the top to the bottom. Everybody, like you said, was in cahoots for it. You know. <laughs> yep. How do you protect yourself? Right? How do you protect yourself? But, you know, the question I have for everybody, you know, that causes this, I'm like, are you happy? <laughs> are you happy? Well. Yeah. Well, and for for families of the people who died, there's still you know five years later, there's still families that haven't seen a dime in terms of any type of compensation, you know, for for this accident. Um, it devastated Chapel Canese, understandably, in a, in a major way. Um, they ended up going down. They were relegated. Um, in 2019 but then just uh in uh february of this year they won their way back to the top flight in uh brazilian in brazilian soccer so uh chapo they're, they're still fighting on you know that's it's been you know obviously a really horrible last five years and the fact that you know people still haven't been compensated this this many years down after after this accident uh, it's just, it's just a really awful thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully, sorry, hopefully they're doing a little bit more regulation, you know, to help prevent something like this. And you know, there's a little bit of, there was a little bit of concern that between the company and the Bolivian government, there was some things going on potentially too that, you know, they weren't, you know, getting caught with, you know, the fuel or, you know, not abiding by all the rules type of thing because this had been going on for. A minimum of four months so you know hopefully something like that you know this where we have um, regulation where people step in to say hey you can't get away with this 
and uh, stop it because otherwise, how does the public know? I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. It's, you know, again, good. You know, here's something interesting. It says here an arrest warrant was issued for an employee from the uh, Asana in Santa Cruz who had refused to approve Flight 2933's flight plan, although it would later be approved by another official. Right. Yeah, and she would flee the country and she tried to seek political asylum in Brazil and she claimed that after the crash she was pressured by her superiors to actually alter a report that she had made before the aircraft uh, took off. And she she was she lived in she was excuse me, she feared the fact that Bolivia would not give her a fair trial. Right. Yep, exactly. And what she did was so that that's in regards to the flight plan. If she caught it, she knew what was going on, and she wanted to stop the flight. But because of the uh, uh, the business had some people that knew higher folks, so to speak, is the thought that you know she got squashed. But what she did to protect herself was to document and send in that information. So that, uh, you know, she wouldn't become a scapegoat for somebody saying, hey, it was your fault. So she sent in the information, and then that became a problem for her, fearful for her life. And yes, they did try to have her change her story, and uh, she wouldn't do it. So she ended up going to Brazil, is my understanding. She left Bolivia. And do we know if she actually was able to uh, get asylum in Brazil? That I don't know, but the, what I had just read was just that she she left for Brazil, and so far as I know, she stayed in Brazil. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a little bit of a relief right there. I mean, at least one person did care and, you know, and, and cared for the safety. But, of course, if it's one person and then the entire company totally disagrees with you and then her superiors are going to pressure her to do it, I mean, you, you see that a lot, don't you? You see a lot of situations like this. Well, you know, you know, South America is notorious for those type of things, you know, from a, an American viewpoint, I guess. I don't know. I don't have firsthand knowledge. But certainly if you know people, you know, no matter where you are in the world, um, people try to play the politics, right, of things. But in this case, um, you know, she, you know, was in a situation that in my readings that you know, she was put at risk because of her telling the truth. And unfortunately, sometimes it's a t- decision that really affects your life forever. And and I and yep. I, I, re- I really hope that she's all right. You know. Yep. And and here's something really interesting. I actually found this story that one of the survivors from this plane crashed actually walked away from a deadly bus crash in Bolivia. And this was actually earlier this year. This was actually back in March. Oh, okay. Yeah. It said the the player the name he was a he's an aviation technician, and you know, it's just unbelievable. He goes you know a few years before he has this crash and then he, like that it's yeah. Yeah. Here, saw, here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say if you saw pictures of that crash, you'd wonder how anybody survived because the fuselage was on two parts of the mountain. Part of it was uh, on one side, and the other part made it over to the other. And it's just hard to believe anybody survived that kind of a crash into a 8,500 foot mountain. I mean, just all, amazing. All things a complete disaster. Yeah. And check this out from the story. The dude was on his way to work when his bus plunged 500 feet down a hillside. Wow. And he just and, and, and all he got was just a few minor bruises. 
There's a guy better to be lucky than good. That's it. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Now, uh, as we close this, I gotta ask: like, do you believe that this Brazilian club, like, is it? Did they have no choice but to settle with this airline? Is it because you know they probably couldn't afford either one, or maybe it's because this was the only one that that was available? Well, the airline pretty much went bankrupt, which is part of the reason why nobody has really gotten any money out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they, you know, they had done business. I mean, in the in the research I did, there's actually the plane that they use. They put the logo of the team on the plane, and they have all the like the headrests have the logo of the team on them with you know like a little protector, you know, on the on the top of the chairs, and so you know this. They had done a good job as far as the taking care of the teams and getting them there. They just was lucky as heck to get them all there safely with the way they were operating their business. And that behind the scenes, um, they were taking tremendous risk and thankfully didn't get caught. And that's what happens in a lot of these accidents. And when people finally do have something, well, I did it before and I made it and now I didn't, well, Aviation is very prone to this, where if somebody breaks the rules and they, um, oh, I made it, they'll try it again. And in this case, it finally caught up with them, where they kept breaking the rules and as far as flight and um, fuel requirements, and uh, they finally ran out, and the plane and the plane fell like a rock out of the sky. And that that had to be so scary. The plane just. Yeah. Yep. And as part of the investigation, they even said, no, the engines were working fine, but, but the whole thing was not about engine problems. It was just, you know, the fuel. Was... Yep. yep. Just ran out. How does, how, does that, how does that happen? They were warned. And they never, ever, the pilots never, ever said anything. And what's so interesting, and because the crew recorder was shut off partway through the flight, we don't know what Sissy was saying there, but would really hope that that... Um, you know, the second, um, that uh, gal that was, she was uh, on the on the jump seat in the cockpit, the pilot, the cow, if she could have just gotten those guys to, you know, let the people know we needed to, we get it, a land, we need emergency, because they actually did a couple laps um, um, uh, at the airport in Rio Negro. So if they would have just declared an emergency, the waters would have parted, and they they could have landed because they crashed ten miles away from the airport. When they were that at that area, they probably could have seen the lights pretty easily of the runway. And there's only run one runway there. And because they circled a couple times, and then they finally said, finally they declared the emergency. But that was after the power went out and they ran out of fuel and they started to fall out of the sky. Now, before I ask you, gentlemen, for your final thoughts, you know, on the pilot section. You know, and I really have to read this. And, and and again, you know, this is your brilliant work right here, Bill. So the pilots submitted multiple flight plans that did not meet the minimum standards, several times with direct flight intentions, and then finally a plan was submitted and approved for a refueling stop in Bogota. And then and, and, and here's the here's the, the hunch. Actually, I was right. Yes. Yeah, so it took off from Santa Cruz, overweight with over 700 pounds, and then flying with. Yep without the proper amount of fuel for planned final destinations as required by regulation. Yeah. And, these, and these, you know, what you call exceptional errors. And But, but before I go further, like, what, what what would you exactly mean by 
an exceptional error, like an honest mistake sure. or like a, an obvious mistake? Um, well, what it is, it's uh, it's uh, in the error business, in the human factors part of aviation safety, um, you can make a mistake with an error, that type of thing, lack of knowledge, you forget. These guys knew exactly what they were doing, and they were just flat out breaking the rules. So that's exceptional. That's what's called an exceptional error when they knowingly break the rules. And it was important as that the flight needed to have enough fuel to be able to, once they arrive at an airport, to fly in a pattern, right? They also need to be able to taxi. And they also, in case there was an emergency, they would need to have enough fuel to go to an alternative airport. And they never, they didn't have that, and they had that same problem multiple times. They just hadn't been caught. So, yeah, no, it was, hum this is all human error. There was no mechanical issue whatsoever until they ran out of fuel. And the reason they ran out of fuel is that the pilots were afraid to land and get caught. Well, you break the rule. I mean, and basically you said exceptional, exceptional error means you broke the rules. You didn't give a shit. And then, of course, you do you, you pull that kind of crap. Of course, you're going to be scared to land because you know that you're going to have to pay the consequences. And the consequences, yeah. to say that they're severe, well, there's the understatement again because there's a good chance you will have charges pressed against you, which means you're very likely to go to prison. But you know what? Yeah. There's a saying, gentlemen, do the crime, do the time. I mean, you, if, you, yep. <laughs> if you want to take that risk, then understand. There's no getting out of it. You do but that you is do. one of the good things that came out of this is that ownership got put in, did the time too, where a lot of times we hear stories about corporations or businesses where, you know, essentially there's a fall guy, right? But the ownership doesn't get into trouble in this case. Thankfully, the ownership did get into trouble, and they served uh, they served time and paid a penalty, which is good. Which is a good reminder for people in that business: Hey, don't mess around because uh, you might end up well, behind bars. Steve, what are your thoughts on this? There's really nothing much I could really add on to it. Um, I mean, Bill's report was really good, and I really don't have a whole lot more that I could add. Onto what already has been said. I mean, it's it's just absolutely uh, you know amazing and and, and you know the, and I'm reading like you know not declaring a fuel emergency as dictated by training and I like that word how you use that word loosely dictated like and by dictated I would see it in a way is you have to do like you like you got to do it it's a top priority when it's when it was used by the word dictated exactly and not yeah. not following the emergency procedures again dictated by training. So there you go, and I like how you say exceptional error as well, because it's the same thing. They knew about it, but they did not give a damn. So yep. there, therefore, gentlemen, I'd like to ask your final thoughts on this whole incident. Steve, we'll start with you, brother. Well, I mean, just, uh, I mean, in the end, I mean, it was just a game. You know, these were real people, you know, these people that lost their lives and they had... They had lives, they had spouses, they had children, and uh, because of all this gross negligence, it had such a profound impact on so many people's lives that it was so unnecessary. All right, Bill? Yep, I mean, it just uh, <clears throat> it just shows, shows the goal, yeah, us humans are kind of tough on ourselves. You know, we do stupid things, and this is just one of those cases where these people did stupid things, but I hope it does also shed some light that you should be careful on who you choose to do your, you know, to do business with, especially in an airline. 
Um, there are ways to do some homework and to, to learn about other airlines. And even in the U.S., I know here I'm at an aviation university. The University of North Dakota is a huge aviation program. I know that there's certain airlines, they won't name them, but the people won't, you know, they wouldn't fly on if, you know, they had a choice type of thing. So, but yeah, terrible, terrible accident. Those humans um, did terrible stuff, um, but hopefully we can uh, learn to make sure that everybody's accountable from the, from the guy that puts the fuel into the plane to the CEO uh, of the airline. Well said. And I'd like to explain, Send my deepest condolences to the families of of the loved of the ones that were lost. I know I'm a few years late, but I, I send my deepest condolences. And if they're listening to this, I'm so sorry for what happened. This shouldn't have happened, and you know. And I, and I'm gonna be honest. I feel bad. You know, for, for those who are guilty ones, you know, the family members that are innocent of those guilty ones, I feel bad for them too. It's just, and it's sad because you know when you suffer for something that a family member did and you, and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. I mean, you get crucified over it. You get death threats. I mean, you get the media harassing you all the time. I mean, it's yep. it's something that's just not going to go away. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I I say my prayer for that uh, La Mia Flight twenty nine thirty three victims all the time. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available to you on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Gentlemen, it's such an honor to have you both on the show. Bill, you know, there's no other better way for you to make your debut on this show, and, and I just want you to know you're welcome to be on the show anytime. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Appreciate Bill. It. Steve, as always, for you, brother, it's always an honor to have you on the show, and I can't wait to have you back on. Hey, it was fun to do this with my big brother. Everybody have a good rest of your week there. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.